Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised. Our overemphasis of everything in the present has no boundaries. Everything is either the best we've ever seen or the worst. People are more vicious than they've ever been but they're also smarter than they've ever been. They're more racist than they've ever been, but they're also more culturally sensitive than we've ever been. Women are doing more than they ever have, but they're persecuted more than ever before. Some will say this is the best the NBA has ever been as far as talent, and others will tell you it's the worst because the game has been watered down so much. The bottom line seems to be that we can't wait to reach a conclusion pass judgment, make a definitive declaration. We, the media, and I include myself in that, are as guilty as anyone. One event or moment takes place and it becomes a defining one by which we can extrapolate someone or something's entire identity. I've been witnessing microcosms of this all over the place, largely as a result of the Philadelphia 76ers beating the Toronto Raptors in overtime to take a 3-0 lead in their best-of-seven first-round series. Or at least, it's the latest example. Sixers coach Doc Rivers drew up an out-of-bounds play that resulted in Joel Embiid hitting a three-pointer to win the game in overtime. Actual replays of Doc's instructions in the huddle as he drew it up are all over social media. As a result, Doc Rivers is now being forgiven all his past coaching sins. Observations of shrewd moves previously in the game and the series are now being lauded. Doc is now out-coaching Nick Nurse. If there was a recount of Coach of the Year votes, I'm almost of the belief that Doc would get a few, as opposed to calls for him to be fired and the Lakers being mocked for having him on their list of possible successors for Frank Vogel. All because of what? One three-pointer made by a seven-footer off an inbound pass to that same seven-footer. As if 
that took some tremendous genius. Other than recognizing a seven-footer who can make threes is probably the best option to take a shot with 0.9 seconds left, especially if he's coming to the ball, pivoting, and turning, all of which puts the onus on the player to execute all that successfully. Embiid, similarly, is being lauded as the true MVP of the league, as having found the clutch gene, as the best candidate to lead his team to a championship this year. I don't mind all that because he was first on my MVP ballot and I've been talking him up of late. So it makes me look smart. But I can't ignore how ephemeral this glow could be. I still have concerns. Joel still has an element of goofy in him. When he gets comfortable, he starts playing in ways that I consider disrespectful to both the game and the opponent. He starts taking shots he wouldn't otherwise take. He downshifts in intensity. Now, some of that is natural, but Joel does it to a degree that is obvious. As I said, to a degree that he's laughing at his opponent. I believe there's a karmic price to be paid for doing that. Has Embiid stepped up his game? Without question. Do I think he's this year's MVP? Of course. That's why he was at the top of my ballot. But we're not even out of the first round of this year's playoffs, and these proclamations are already being made. And if you resist them, you're accused of being a hater. It's silly beyond words, but it is no less real. I also just read a string of posts by someone I assume is in the media with an MVP vote about how they're second-guessing having put Nikola Jokic at the top of their ballot and offering all sorts of adjustments to the voting process to avoid people like him from casting a vote they would later regret. One of them, one of the suggestions, was to keep the votes private rather than publicizing every voter's ballot. That's the biggest head-scratcher for me. How is people not knowing how you voted going to keep you from casting your vote based on a flawed assessment of respective players' liabilities or abilities or contributions? Unless your vote is being influenced by fear of public reaction. In which case, I'd say the voter does not trust or believe in his or her method of assessment. Because if he or she did, they wouldn't have a problem explaining it in the face of any blowback. I do think there is an issue with voting today, or maybe it's the voters that are doing it. And I do think they're way too conscious of potential ridicule and social media condemnation. I'd say our society as a whole is. I'd say that's one of the advantages of being older, is that I didn't grow up with Twitter or Instagram. I don't see it as an honest, legitimate referendum on who I am or who anybody else is for that matter regardless of how many likes or retweets something may get. Now, I'm fully aware that there have been real-world consequences as a result of what people have posted. I do know that a rabid crowd on Twitter can ruin someone's life. That's real. But when it comes to my job assessing the NBA and its players, I'm secure in my judgment and process that I know I can back up my decisions with sound, logical explanations. I've been doing it publicly for more than 25 years. I also realize not everyone has that experience, and I don't put it on them that they don't. I put it on the media outlets and companies that are hiring them and promoting them, 
putting them in position to have enough status to cast a vote on NBA awards. From what I've observed, they are young editors and CEOs hiring young reporters and writers. Young editors and CEOs who know precious little about the unwritten rules and protocol of working a beat or covering a team or a league. The entire process has been streamlined to be cost and time effective, all for the sake of pumping out more content. Quality and accuracy is being sacrificed on the regular for quantity. So those reporters and writers not only have no one to show them the proverbial ropes, they have no one able to hold them truly accountable. From what I can tell, precious few of them have come up through the ranks or worked closely with an editor, having their copy redlined, their angles questioned, their sources vetted. I'm not talking about just the smaller websites and outlets. None of that is happening in some of the biggest brand names you can think of these days. And not to come off as a bootlicker, but what I appreciate about working for Fox is that it has veteran editors who aren't simply focused on whatever topic might draw the most clicks or eyeballs. They are cognizant, trust me, that we need to choose popular topics, but that's not the only consideration by any stretch. The solution to votes being cast for undeserving candidates is pretty simple. Find more educated, independent thinking voters who didn't start covering the league five years ago. Because while I received my first voting privileges the first year I was a full-time NBA beat writer, I had spent 10 years in the business before I was given that, including years covering the NFL when I did not have a vote of any kind on anything. Why? Because I hadn't earned it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I went a lot further down that road than I expected because what I really want to talk about is something that came out of a podcast interview by my FS1 colleague Shannon Sharp with former NBA All-Star Tracy McGrady. Shannon asked T-Mac if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were the most skilled teammates we've ever seen in the NBA. McGrady's initial answer was, without a doubt. But then, after reflecting for a minute, said, maybe Mike and Pip, meaning Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen of the six-time champion Chicago Bulls. He was definitive about Dwayne Wade and LeBron James not being as skilled. That, though, was not how the blurb was advertised, which is why I'm glad I listened to the actual conversation. And Shannon later made a distinction between most skilled and being better, which I'm glad that he did. I want to double down on that point because I believe that is the disconnect that exists between basketball fans of more recent generations and those like me and Shannon who have been around for a minute. Or those, I would say, who maybe haven't been around that long but understand the game and what goes into it. We just got into this in lauding Chris Paul or making the statement that you can't tell me that Chris Paul isn't the best player on the Phoenix Suns. You can tell me that 
Devin Booker is a better shooter. But you can't tell me he's a better player. And you can't tell me he's their MVP. That received more likes than challenges. But still, the challenges made no sense. Better skills don't equate to being better players. Because it comes down to knowing when and how to utilize those superior skills. One of the arguments immediately put up for Booker was that he scored 31 the other night and a half. As if that equates to anything. Players today are more individually skilled overall, no doubt about it, than players were 10 and 20 years ago. But they are in no way smarter about the game. They're not asked to be. The game has been simplified. Rather than players having to adjust and acclimate, the game has been adjusted to them, at least on the NBA level, and I dare say at every other level as well. The rules have been changed to accommodate what their strengths are, and to mitigate their weaknesses. But at some point, despite all that, circumstances still arise that require them to adapt. A team or a coach, recognizing that they can't win on pure one-on-one skill, challenge those star players by requiring them to play a different way. Navigating that challenge is clearly something that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have not mastered based on their performances down the stretch in their Game 2 loss to the Boston Celtics. Or their inability to get past the Milwaukee Bucks last year. I know, Kyrie got hurt, KD had a toe on the line, but it stands to reason that they were the ones with all the experience over the up-and-coming Bucks. After all, both of them had already won championships. And yet the Bucks had the wherewithal to make the plays when they mattered. It wasn't just skill that won out. It was resilience. It was relentlessness. You can blame Steve Nash, coach of the Brooklyn Nets, if you want, but I've never had the sense that he has the license to dictate to Kyrie and KD how he wants them to play. Kyrie said as much when he said, beginning of the year, for the record, or actually when Steve Nash was first named the coach two years ago, for the record, We don't really need a coach, Kyrie said. Based on what I've seen of KD and Kyrie in Brooklyn, they need something or someone. I already had planned to talk about this because of a conversation I had with Chris Mullen before Game 2 of the Warriors' first-round series with the Nuggets. Chris Mullen, Hall of Famer, veteran player, part of the Dream Team. We were talking about how the principles of the game from his era have been turned on their head in this one. When Mully played in the 80s and 90s, a three-pointer was not considered a quality shot, except maybe in the brief era where they made the three-point line a uniform 22 feet all the way around before moving it back out. Even then, it wasn't exactly encouraged. Switching on defense was also frowned upon, for the most part, especially with the game on the line. Teams then invariably played man-to-man, but used zone principles on the weak side. Now... Just about everybody plays zone. They just make it look like man-to-man. It's pretty much a matchup zone because switches are so common, automatic. There's not a whole lot different between playing zone and passing off a man to the next defender and playing man-to-man, but switching any time two offensive players occupy the same space. Mullen pointed out, though, the teams in his day played with certain principles through the first three and a half quarters of the game and then changed everything in the last five minutes 
on both offense and defense. And everybody had to know the difference. If you didn't, you didn't play. There was also an expectation that if you were a guard and you got a big to switch on to you, you were taking it to the rack. That too was automatic. Mullen said if you settled for a jumper, Warriors coach Don Nelson would pull you out of the game because he had run a play specifically to get you that switch and you failed to take advantage of it. I was reminded of that principle watching Kyrie in the waning minutes of the Game 2 loss. He got a switch that put Alf Horford on him with the Nets down by 5, 99-94. He made no attempt to drive past the lumbering 35, about-to-turn-36-year-old Horford, but instead jab-stepped and took a 21-foot jumper that missed. That is a back-breaking play in any game but particularly in a playoff setting against a team as defensively stingy as the Celtics. I'm not sure every young fan understands how egregious that decision is. Young fans might counter with the argument that because today's players are more skilled or better all-around shooters, that that rule no longer applies. And I would say that that is a lie. Steph Curry, with Nikola Jokic guarding him, drove past him for the layup that essentially sealed their Game 3 win. And when he wasn't scoring on a layup, he was driving and kicking to Andrew Wiggins for a wide-open three in the corner. But it began with Steph driving. Steph, who is regarded as the best long-distance shooter in the game. And yet he followed that principle. And came away a winner as a result. Young fans also don't want to hear that today's players are mentally soft. And I don't want to use that term, soft, because it's a trigger. I'm also not sure it's completely fair. What I believe many star players are today are mentally vulnerable. I believe our entire society is to an extent thanks to the bombardment of information and distractions and social media bullying. Some star players are particularly that way because they have faced a combination of allowances made by how they've been brought up in the game and the hyper-scrutiny they faced along the way. It's a double-edged sword, no doubt. High-profile players no longer have as much of a chance to develop, to make mistakes, without it being brought to everyone's attention. I can't help but look around the league and notice that the toughest players, the ones that seem to handle that scrutiny the best, are ones that weren't highly touted coming out of high school or college. Steph Curry, Jimmy Butler, Draymond Green, Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I commend LeBron James in that he had to grow up before our very eyes on the biggest stage and had to weather being exposed for struggling with that attention for many years. But he's not alone. I saw firsthand Shaquille O'Neal criticized for being little more than an athletic brute who could only dunk and tear down rims in Orlando. How Akeem Olajuwon absolutely undressed him in the Houston Rockets sweep of the Magic in the 1995 Finals. The distinction between then and now, as I see it, is that great players evolved because they accepted coaching. Michael did it. Shaq did it. LeBron did it. KD did it when he came to Golden State and now appears to have reverted. His skills, particularly shot making, are greater than ever. But is he playing the actual game at a higher level? Now, I don't say any of that as a blanket statement. Not every star player wilts in the face of adversity, just as every unheralded player doesn't always come through in the clutch. 
But the great players I see today are the players anointed as great, or the players anointed as great, don't seem to have the same trajectory. Once Jordan became great, he stayed great. Once Shaq became great, he stayed great until his physical gifts began to wane. Can we say that about Kyrie Irving? We can say it about Steph. We could say it about John Stockton. Can we say it about Carmelo Anthony or Paul George or Anthony Davis? We could say it about Carl Malone. We could say it about Tim Duncan. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, I'm going to delve a little deeper into this issue of players getting injured and developing the toughness that comes from the regular season and the importance of coaching. All of that in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.